Yes, guys, what's happening? And welcome back to another episode of the Blues Brothers podcast with myself, Charlie, and co-host, George. And for those of you watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see that we are joined by a very special guest today. You'll, you'll know him from Sky Sports News, from the transfer deadline days, from the transfer shows. We're delighted to be joined by reporter, presenter, and journalist, Damesh Sheff. Damesh, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Um, welcome to the podcast. Hope you're well. Um, to kick things off, as you can tell, we're, we're massive Chelsea fans, and there's the guest. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll uh, you'll be able to see why. Um, obviously, there's a few transfers, a few contracts, etc., that are still to be resolved, mainly in the defensive areas. So we've got the likes of Andreas Christensen, Antonio Rudiger, and Cesar Aspilicueta, all important first team players who will be out of contract in the summer. Obviously, currently free to negotiate with any club that they wish to do so. Um, we just want, just asking really for whether, you, from what you've been told, what kind of updates you've got on the situation. So starting with Antonio Rudiger, um, a key figure under Thomas Tuchel since he's come in. Um, this deal seems to be been rumbling on for a long time. It was very clear a few months ago he wasn't going to stay. Now it's kind of swinging around that he might stay and they're kind of close to finding some sort of agreement. He would become Chelsea's highest paid defender in their history um time's running out though what 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 updates can you offer us on his situation and how likely he may be to sign for Chelsea again thanks for having me on first of all guys um real pleasure um just overall what I would say about um Thomas Tuchel and, and the way he runs things at Chelsea is he just picks the players who he believes are on form. He doesn't look at this contract situation, which I think is very interesting. You see some examples at other clubs when a player doesn't sign a contract where you're not playing. I mean, Barcelona go to the real extreme and say, if you don't leave, you're never playing for this club again. Whereas Chelsea, right, this is what matters now is this season. If Andreas Christensen and Aspilicueta and Antonio Rudiger are the best choices for a particular game, they will play. Their contract situation is irrelevant as far as Thomas Tuchel is concerned. And I think that really shows the, the structure at Chelsea that Thomas Tuchel comes in and he's the coach of that team. He doesn't need to get mired in the contract situations where, you know, you had managers before this era, I would say, that before the, like, maybe in the 90s, early 2000s, where they were trying to take control of every single situation. And of course, contract situations are going to impact on performances sometimes maybe but Thomas Tuchel if he trusts the player it doesn't matter if they've got 10 years on their contract or 10 days left on their contract he's going to play them with regard to um your question and and Antonio Rudiger very interesting situation this one because he just was completely out of favor wasn't he when Frank Lampard took charge and the information that I got was in October of that season he and his representatives spoke to Chelsea and there was a feeling, right, you can go on loan in January. But what we want you to do is to sign a one-year extension to your contract. So when you do come back, you won't just have that one year left on your contract and then you're into that red zone six months away from being able to sign a pre-contract agreement. So the contract would run until 2023 as opposed to the summer of 2022. Now, there was a few clubs that were interested, Paris Saint-Germain and Tottenham Hotspur. They, they were both very interested in Rudiger to try and get him in that January transfer window. And it looked for all the money at that point that he would go on loan to get more first-team football. Because you remember, there was a major tournament at the end of that season. So he really did need to play to, to, to make sure that he was going to feature for Germany. But, Rudiger decided, no, I still believe that I'm going to get enough first-team action. And towards the end of Frank Lampard's reign, he did start, begin to start some games. And then when Thomas Tuchel took over, I mean, it was like Rudiger was staying for the rest of his career at Chelsea. There was a completely no doubt at all because he, he has played more than any other player for Chelsea and he's been absolutely superb. So, Credit to Tuchel for doing that, but also you've got to get a bit of credit to Antonio Rudiger because he's performed in such a high fashion, even though he's got this contract issue lurking in the background. Now, it's a real situation generally with 
transfers, particularly this summer. And it's of the like I've never seen before. And that is the calibre of player and the amount of money that they're worth being available for no money at all, being available on a free transfer. You're looking at Antonio Rudiger out of contract in the summer. Paul Pogba, out of contract in the summer. Kylian Mbappe, out of contract in the summer. Usman Dembele. When you tot up how much these would cost if they were under contract and market value, you're looking at a billion to a billion and a half pounds worth of talent that will go for no money at all. Now, there's that issue. When a player enters the final six months of his contract, the club panics. He can sign a pre-contract agreement with a foreign club. But the pattern that we're noticing more and more now I'm not going to sign a pre-contract agreement because I'm almost limited to the amount of clubs I can sign a pre-contract agreement with because it's, a, it's clubs outside of the league that I'm in. So what, I, what I'll do, I will do something that's not illegal. It might make the fans say, well, why are you doing that? I'm going to honour my contract until the end of the season. And then I will be a free agent. And not only will I have the clubs that maybe were interested in me on a pre-contract agreement, I will have all the clubs who are interested in me in the same league that I play in. And I think this is an interesting situation now because when it gets to this stage of a contract, particularly with Rudiger, as a game of brinkmanship perhaps going on behind the scenes. Now, my information is that there's no current talks over a new contract at the moment. That's not to say that Antonio Rudiger is not going to stay at Chelsea. That is one definite option that will remain on the table. But it's one of a number of options that's going to be available to Antonio Rudiger. Make no mistake about it. Tuchel wants him to stay. Rudiger loves Chelsea. He says he loves Chelsea. But at his age, this is a situation he's in now, rather like Paul Pogba at Man United. This could be the last big, big contract that he signs. So he needs to make sure that everything, not only financially, but from a footballing perspective, is right. Now, he will feel, pay me what I'm worth. He's not asking to be paid more than the highest paid player at Chelsea. But some fans could argue that if they see certain players at Chelsea earning two or three times more than Antonio Rudiger, then maybe there could be a little bit of sympathy towards Rudiger. And they'll say, actually, he's got every right to say, I'm going to wait for a big contract because if I'm seeing certain players who may not be performing on two or three times more money than me and I'm being picked every single game and I'm playing like I am, then why shouldn't I ask for the, what I think I'm worth? The issue that Chelsea have got is this, and a lot of clubs will have with players entering the last six months of their contract, and that is, yes, Premier League clubs can pay the big, big wages. And what could happen, a foreign club might not be able to pay the big, big wages. And people may ask, well, why have they gone to that foreign club if it was a financial decision? That's because the foreign club would not have to pay a transfer fee. And some of that transfer fee that they may have laid aside for that position could then be used as a signing on fee to make up the shortfall that Rudiger, for example, would have had from getting big, big Premier League wages to slightly smaller wages at a Spanish club or a French club, for example. So make no mistake, all of European football's top clubs are after him. Bayern Munich are interested. Paris Saint-Germain are interested. Real Madrid are interested. Chelsea, of course, want to tie him down to a new contract. They've made no secret of that. Those talks need to resume, though, as you say, time is running out. But I think Rudiger's focus and Thomas Tuchel's focus will just purely be on the football. There's too much at stake to let this situation derail what could potentially be a very, very special season still for Chelsea. But the on the flip side as well, when you get to the end of the season, because there's also my information that Ralph Ranić is a long-term admirer of Antonio Rudiger. And I'm not saying he's going to go to Manchester United. I'm not saying that at all. But Manchester United potentially could be an option for Antonio Rudiger come the summer. And that's one of the reasons maybe he's saying, why do I need to sign a pre-contract agreement and show my cards now? Because in a way as well, what would the fans think? You could probably tell me more mm. than, than I could. Your Chelsea fans, say, for example, 
Antonio Rudiger signed a pre-contract agreement with Real Madrid, for example, in January. What would the fans' fears be about his performances for the rest of the season? Would that be in the minds of fans? I'm asking. Yeah, you. yeah. No, I, I mean, I'll say first. I think, I think 100%, you know, obviously every sort of poor performance you put in as a player, it's going to happen. But when you've, as you say, if you've got a contract agreed with a club, you know you're leaving in six months' time. You then start to think, well, is, he, is his performance levels dipped because his mind's elsewhere? He's thinking about Real Madrid, for example. And I think, it, you know, it creates a, might create a little bit of disharmony in the dressing room. You know, you're in there every day with these guys, see him training, you're on the pitch, you're trying to win the big prizes together. And you've got one guy that is essentially saying, I don't want to be here anymore, but I'm only here because I've got, I've got to see out my contract and I'm, and I'm going elsewhere. So how committed is he to the project um, that, you know, and the goals that are trying to be achieved? I'm not questioning players' professionalism, but that's got to be a thought as a fellow professional that, well, how committed to this guy is, help, is to helping us achieve our goals is he? And I guess that can cause divides within dressing rooms. So it is a problem. And I guess, like, as you said, you probably will see more of it now. Players will, rather than agreeing a pre-contract, they will run down, become a free agent, and then negotiate with whoever they want to negotiate with. And it puts them in a much better bargaining position as well, you know? So there is a risk involved as well, though, because hmm. if, if you're in the final six months of your contract and you haven't, and you're not going to sign a contract with your current club. Say you get injured and you haven't signed a pre-contract agreement. There's you're that risk as well. So there is, it's, it's a, it is a gamble. Uh, look, we're not saying that anyone's going to get injured in these final six months, but it's the pros and cons of that situation. But the Chelsea thing, it can't be ruled out. I'm, I'm, this, this is the only information I'm getting with regard to Rudy. It cannot be ruled out that he will sign a new contract at Chelsea. And I know they've been hearing noises that, oh, it's looking more likely to be Chelsea. It's looking more likely he's going to leave. There's going to be lots of talk about someone who's entered the final six months. The only thing I can tell you is the information that I've been given is that he's happy, he's focused, and he'll make his decision when the football is out of the way. And I think he's even said that as well. And, and it hasn't, and it doesn't mean that it won't be Chelsea. Yeah, no, so that's fascinating insight on Rudiger. And obviously, we hope he, we really do want him to stay. Obviously, got big League Cup final coming up this weekend. Need, need him to focus on that. But as you say, whilst he's putting the performances in, the contract issue for myself as a fan is really secondary. You know, as long as he helps us deliver the goals this season, then ultimately, yeah, I'd be gutted if he goes. But Chelsea spend money, someone else will come in, and he kind of and he kind of forget about it. That's just sort of the way football goes. But um. Just on a couple of others, obviously, you might not have as much information, but just like perhaps your general feeling or things you might have heard, um, is it a lot less likely for Andreas Christensen to be staying? Because things that I've seen, Chelsea not prepared to offer a new deal in terms of what's currently on the table. Um, teams like Bayern Munich interested. He's obviously of a good age. He's performed very well. And I'm sure the club would like him to stay, but he switched his representatives, etc. Links with Barcelona as well. Um from what you've been hearing, what you might have picked up on, um, Christensen more than likely to leave, isn't he? Again, but it's the same situation with Rudiger mm. in a way, because what you said there, look, um, Chelsea not prepared to pay Christensen what Christensen wants to stay at the club. And at the moment, that's the situation with Antonio Rudiger, because I think Rudiger wants to become the Premier League best paid defender. And he feels he, that's his worth, so that's what he should be paid. It won't make him the best-paid player at Chelsea, but it, he, he wants to be the best-paid Premier League defender. Now, Christensen, you see, they seem to have the cards when you get to the final six months because you can demand more, perhaps, than you can go when you're negotiating. You can probably go a little bit higher thinking you actually would settle there, but you might get here because the club's are thinking, you know what, we don't want to pay him that much. We can bring him down to this. And actually, the player might actually be happy with that. The same thing with, say, Aspilicueta. The Aspilicueta one, that seems to me from a complete outsider's perspective, and, and I don't know the ins and outs of this one at all. I mean, there's there's lots of talk with Christensen and Aspilicueta with Barcelona. Hmm. I just wonder whether the motivation for Aspilicueta would be slightly different in that He's won everything. He has won everything with Chelsea. And so almost it's like 
that's that chapter done. What else can I do? I've captained this club and I've won everything. Um, maybe it's time now. Do I go back home? Do I go back to Spain? Do I do a couple of years at a great club like Barcelona? Or maybe even go to another country and try out a different challenge? So it feels that the Aspilicueta one, from an outsider's perspective, just feels a little bit different to the other two, mm. simply because of the age and the longevity of Aspilicueta and how much the other two players may want to be paid at Chelsea compared to Aspilicueta. And I don't know whether it will be motivated totally by finances with regard to Aspilicueta and whether it's a footballing challenge perspective, which is the higher motivation for him. Yeah, I'm just on Aspilicueta. My understanding from what I've kind of been reading and stuff is that there's a two year, two years plus yeah. one on the table from Barcelona. Chelsea have got a one year option, one year plus one. Chelsea yeah. obviously notoriously with players in their thirties. It's always one year rolling deal. It's whether you're John Taylor, whether you're Frank Lampard, doesn't matter who you mm. are. It's been a one year revolving policy. Um, but I guess it's a decision for Aspilicueta to make and he would go with our best wishes in terms of what he's done for the club. Yes, we'd love him to stay, but ultimately he's coming He's coming towards the end as long as he gets the send-off that he deserves because over the years, Chelsea have not been the best at giving players that have served the club really well a send-off. You know, Frank Lampard didn't really get a send-off. There's been others, Gary Cahill, frozen out under Mauricio Sarri, who done so well for us. So as long as Aspilicueta gets you know, the send-off he deserves, whether that's a testimonial, whether that's whatever it is, then, you know, I think it's fair enough for him to leave. But um, just very briefly, before we kind of move on to a bit more, it's a different topic. Um, from what you've been hearing or, you know, what, what you might be able to tell us, in terms of summer targets for Chelsea, obviously the one that always gets talked about, Declan Rice. What mm. can you tell us from what you know um, in regards of how likely is it for Declan Rice to be leaving West Ham this summer? in the first place. Look, as David Moyes has always said, they're, they're under no pressure to sell Declan Rice. And it doesn't seem, from the outset, he seems like such a good guy as well. And he doesn't seem like he's made any, well, publicly anyway, any moves to say, I want to leave this club. He looks like he loves it at West Ham. And if West Ham were to do any kind of deal, I mean, you're looking in excess of 100 million pounds like that's that's where you're starting because I mean, people will say is he a 100 million 120 million pound player you can argue that until you're blue whether he is or not but what is he worth to west ham and that's where the price can be shifted up a bit and I, west ham can do what they like they can say well we want 200 million for him he's under contract we don't need to sell him we're under no pressure to sell him but I mean, I think he will want to do right by West Ham, number one. And he I don't think if he and if he was to leave, he'd want to do it in the right and the proper way. But there is obviously an ambition for Declan Rice to be playing uh, in European football's top competition in the Champions League. Now, some West Ham fans that I've spoken to, they're almost saying, have they missed a trick in January? Did they miss a trick in January? Because for me as well, I don't know what you guys think, aside of the top two and, and, and maybe the top three Chelsea as well, that fourth place, for a while, it, you can't call it. And it was like West Ham are properly in the mix to get that top four. And you just wonder, had they just twisted in the January transfer window, brought a couple of players, could that maybe have just given them that impetus to get over the line? Because... They're still in the Europa League. And now those fixtures are going to start increasing. They're still in the FA Cup. They've still got those fixtures to play as well as the Premier League games. And you just wonder whether the chance that they would have had, would this be their best chance to get top four? And have they just missed out on it? And when will they get an opportunity like that again, given the likes of United, Chelsea, City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham, you expect them to spend big money come the summer. And are West Ham going to be able to do that? Or are they going to need to fund some arrivals with a sale? And the biggest saleable asset is, of course, the man you mentioned in Declan Rice. And 
100, 120 million pounds. And I've just been speaking for about two minutes, completely avoided your question, haven't I? So now if Declan Rice comes fantastic, if he doesn't, then he doesn't. But I'd like to think we've got a bit of pulling power in the court in terms of he was at the academy. He's a Chelsea fan. Uh, I don't know if you've seen his interview of Gary Neville on the overlap. Um, yeah. Speaks very openly about the fact he's in regular contact with John Terry. They're good mates. So hopefully yeah. he might be able to do us a favour. Um, and yeah, I mean, he'd be a fantastic player for Chelsea. But ultimately, like, we're not going to pay over the odds as a football club. We, we very rarely do in terms of the dealings. We've got Marina in charge of kind of the dealings there and stuff drives a hard bargain, etc. So ultimately, if the deal is not going to be beneficial for Chelsea, they probably won't do it. Um, very briefly, before we move on, just one question that's come in. Um, obviously, if you can't answer it, that's totally fine. Um, uh -oh. Obviously, a lot of players that are kind of, you see, represented by their, their family. So whether it's their dad, whether it's their brother, for example, like Harry Kane. Uh, from your point of view, your opinion, do you think that having a member of your family represent you influences, you know the transfer contract decision. Do you think that harms the player in any way, being negotiated by their by their family members rather than an external agent? Every case is individual. Yeah. But what I would say, the two examples that I know, and I'm not going to name them, but mm. the two agents that I spoke to, who I deal with quite a lot, who had a player and then <clears> lost <throat> that player because they wanted to go with their family, they didn't get the deals that they wanted and they were calling me and saying i would have got this guy a club he'd be playing and so i don't think you can just say they go with the family that means it's done and dusted they're not going to get the deal that they want but agents get a bad name sometimes don't they but they do get a deal done and they they've got experience of getting a deal i just wonder whether if a player does go with their family and they haven't had experience of getting a deal done, maybe it's wise just to keep someone from the original agency tight and close and just to just to keep helping them and advising them about potential moves because they haven't done a move before. It's not an easy thing to do. It's been shown on a number of occasions it's not an easy thing to do because some players get stuck and they don't play. And they waste like half a season that they could have been performing, raised their value, raised their potential wages. And so it can backfire sometimes. But look, it's it's an individual choice and it can work and it can't work. But then you can say the same if you go with a certain agent, it can work and it can't work. So I don't think it's a black or white thing. That it will work if you stay with an agent and it won't work if you go with a family and vice versa. I don't think it's, it's as black and white as that. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, obviously, Declan Rice, ironically, is represented by his, his dad as well. So there, there are there are some, there are big players out there. Neymar, his dad handles all his um, affairs as well. So yeah, you do see it. And obviously, as you say, you know, it just very much depends on a, on a deal by deal basis for sure. Um, George, I'll bring you in now, mate. We're going to move it on. Um, you want to take away kind of transfer deadline day, you know, what it's what it's kind of like to to, to work on that. Well, yes, Damish, well, firstly, I just want to echo what Charlie said. Thanks for coming on. Um, okay. And we know that deadline day and the, the transfer deadline day has kicked off. It's almost become a, a brand in its own right, hasn't it? It almost becomes an event in the footballing calendar where everyone tunes in for the whole day. Um, just how much of that, just bringing into your perspective, how much is it about filtering the process from managing the fact from fiction in your eyes and how much is blown up on the telly for, for story making and then accuracy, because obviously you want to be as accurate as possible, but Sky Sports seems to be the ones who always seem to get the stories first. And um, I mean, how did you grow that contracts list to get to where you are in terms of filtering that information through and managing that fact from fiction and those red flags that you look for? Yeah. I mean, it's, as you say, it's a, it's a building process. I mean, the, when I first started reporting at Sky Sports News, uh, the first um, bit of advice, if you like, or the first thing one of my, my bosses said to me was, um, what's your contacts book like? And I went, what's that? He <laughs> 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 goes, goes, right. He goes, right, challenge. Every shoot that you go on, everyone you interview, I want you to come back and make sure you pick up a number because you just never know when you're going to need it. And it's the best piece of advice I've been given. And I, even to this day, I do it. I went to a, a job last night. It was a it was a, a, a League Cup final preview 
thing with um, Robbie Fowler and Joe Cole were there. And um, I got a number of, of an agent who was there because you just don't know when you're going to need it. it. It just becomes second nature to me just to get a card or a number or something. But at the beginning, and I, I'll just give you a couple of examples of um, before we go on to the actual specific transfer bit is the importance of it was really laid bare to me when I was on my way into work once. It's very early in my reporting career at Sky Sports News. And I got a call from the news desk and they said, don't come into the office. We've set up an interview with a player called Jermaine Easter. I don't know whether you remember a player called Jermaine Easter. He used to play for Plymouth. He was playing, I think he was playing for Plymouth at the time. So they were in League One. So I was like, right, okay. And it was in this posh hotel in London. So I went down to this hotel and Jermaine Easter's with an agent, League One player with an agent. I'm like, wow, this is like different world. So I did the interview with him and then remembered the magic words from my boss. And I, while the agent wasn't listening, because I thought I need to get the number of the player. Yeah. While the agent wasn't listening, oh, uh, Jermaine, do you mind if I just get your number very quickly? And the agent said, tweaked, oh, no, 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 mate. Um, just come through me here. Here's my number. So I was like, I feel a little bit deflated. I was like, oh, right, okay, fine. That number has helped me. <laughs> like, yeah. to this day. To this day. So I've kept in touch with this guy. He's been involved in deals that have taken Colo Toure to Man City from Arsenal. He was involved in the deal that took Antonio Rudiger to Chelsea. So it enabled wow. me to break stories like that. And he's so well connected that if, so for example, I, I, this is another part of his story. So during the pandemic, it's, it's like, it's almost like six degrees of separation with some people that you, if you want a number, you start with someone that you think will have it. But if they don't have it, they might know someone who's got it. But if they haven't, they'll know someone who knows someone who knows someone who knows someone who's got it. And then it comes back again. So in the pandemic, it must have been in May 2020. It was the day of, because we were working from home quite a bit. I was trying to create a bit of content to see if we could get some stuff on Sky Sports News. And um, it was the anniversary of Naeem's goal from the halfway line for Real Zaragoza against Arsenal. And it was 25 years to the day that it happened. And I thought, you know what, let's try. And, I'm going to try and get an interview with Naeem. So how am I going to do this? I haven't got his number. So this contact that I'd made way back in the day, obviously I've been speaking to him. I speak to him all the time. I text him, said, have you got a number for Naeem? He goes, no, but I might know someone who does. Like, right, okay, fine. 10 minutes later, he sends me a contact card. And the contact card is Vinny Samways. Do you remember Vinny Samways? He used to play for Tottenham back in the day. You might be too young, you guys. I might be too young, yeah. <laughs> Vinny Samways used to play for Tottenham Hotspur. He's in the same team as Naeem. And Vinny Samways is based out in Spain. And I've never spoken to Vinny Samways before. He's an ex-Tottenham player. So my contact said, Vinny, uh, I haven't got the number, but Vinny's bound to have it. Just get in touch with him. Tell him you know me. It'll be fine. So I messaged Vinny Samways. Sorry to cold text you like this but is it possible that you've I, I got your number from my contact oh yeah yeah great Darmish yeah brilliant um I'm just looking for a number for Naeem it's 25 years since that goal he goes Naeem Naeem he goes I don't think I've got it leave it with me 10 minutes later contact card on my whatsapp Naeem's number within an hour I'd done a zoom interview with Naeem and within two hours, it was on Sky Sports News. That's the best lesson, the best advice I've been given about contact making. And it's agents now that are very, very useful to us. But as you said, how do you separate and how do you spot the red flags? For me, on a personal level, I've got a list of people now throughout the years that I've been doing it that I know who I can trust and I know who are going to be involved in deals. And I know aren't going to lead me up the garden path. Big red flag for me is when I hear an agent say to me, can you get this out, please? Uh, five clubs are interested in this player. The first thing I think of when I hear five clubs are interested in a player is who's the sixth club that you're trying to push to get this player. That's what I think. They won't name that club. They'll name five others. But the problem we have 
Well, not the problem. That's that's unfair. Um, so on social media and stuff, I see it all. You know, Sky Sports News are so slow, this, that, and the other. Why they, We've got protocol in place when it comes to transfers. And so if I get a story from an agent, people don't realize I can't just go on air and say, this is what I've heard. I can't do that because we have to do proper journalism with this. So say, for example, Arsenal want to buy David Luiz from Chelsea. Okay. Which was what happened a couple, uh, about two or three years ago. If I hear that David Luiz is on his way to Arsenal, I can't put that out, even though I know it's true because this is one of my trusted contacts. I know this is true. Still can't run it. What I have to do is message Arsenal and message Chelsea. And I have to tell them, say the time is quarter past three, for example. I will tell them I am planning to run the following at four o'clock. And I will tell them what the line is. Now, I'm not asking for permission. I'm saying I'm planning to run this. So it gives them the right of reply. So if they were to say, this is complete nonsense, don't run it, there's a chance we won't run it. If it later transpired that that story came true, I'd have every right to go back to them and say, doing this out of courtesy, we're letting you know what we're running so you don't see something surprising and then you're bombarded with phone calls from various other people. But it's got to work both ways. And in the main, it does work both ways. And we have great relationships with clubs as a result because we run stuff past them. They don't want us to run it, obviously, but they obviously also understand that we're journalists and our job is to get stories out. So there might be some times where we agree a form of words which might not be completely what I wanted to say, but enough for me to get a story out. And so... With that in mind, it's particularly significant with transfers because during those two windows, the information is overload. It is constantly coming in. Not just me, all of my colleagues who've got contacts, not just them. Loads of other brilliant journalists on social media, that David Ornstein, Gianluca DiMarzio, they're all getting stories. And it's not like we can get every single story. We can't. It's impossible. So we try and control what we can. Hence why I have a select list of people that I say, right, I'm going to chase these guys and I'm going to try and get the stories that they're working on. So we've got some original journalism. But then there will be big stories that someone else is breaking. We don't ignore it. We'll check those stories out as well so that we'll be able to run that story as well. But we will give, we'll defer to the, person who's broken the story so on the transfer show a lot of times myself and Carve will have our own stories but we'll also say as another story that we've got we'll add some information to it because it's our job not just to take that story and run it we want to make it a little bit our own as well but we will say oh this was originally broken by David Ornstein at the Athletic but we've also heard since then that the medical is or the personal terms have been agreed or they're close to being, you know, we can add a little bit of information to move the story on. So it during that time, during a window, it's like I say, information overload, but it's nothing compared to deadline day because <laughs> I, I, I'll be honest with you, the, the rules that are in place for the whole window, including deadline day, but it's so manic. I still do the right thing, the right protocol. But I think the time that we give a club sometimes on deadline day might be a little bit less simply because the thing is so fast moving. It's not like a case of at four o'clock on deadline day, we're saying um, a club is interested in this player. You've got to be more than interested. You've got seven hours left. You better get a move on. This is either happening or you're in advanced talks or he's having a medical or whatever. So hence the the timing of it gets a little bit shorter. And look, they're very, very patient with us, all the clubs. And particularly on deadline, I mean, I have to call them up on the day after and just say, look, I'm thank you again for the whole window, but in particular for yesterday, because I know they would have been bombarded. And the club I deal with quite closely is Arsenal. And I mean... Abamyang on the final day. I mean, 
it, I mean, there was all sorts of stories happening there. I mean, he's turned up and the deal hasn't even been done. We're like, oh my God, this is Peter Odenringi all over again. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. But it was all of that. Oh, but, no. but that all adds to the drama for me for deadline day. And working on it, I've got to say, it's just, I still get the buzz working on that story. I still get the buzz of, I joined in 98, Sky Sports News. I probably broke my first story on Sky Sports News when I was reporting like in about, I started reporting in 01, so a few years after that. And the buzz that I got from breaking a story then to one that I still get now is still the same. It's still that, oh, come on, I need to get this story. And it's, you know, when you speak to a club and you know that you're right and you get that confirmation in that text, you're just like, oh, my God, brilliant. Get it out. So that that's still the case. But I think... With deadline day, I would say just very quickly, I would say that with deadline day, it's kind of evolved into an event because I think mm. Sky Sports News almost stumbled across it because there was one deadline day when Rubinho and Berbatov, Rubinho went to Man City in the morning and it was like Man City have, have come to town. Look what they've done. And in the evening, Man United sort of said, just pipe down, noisy neighbours. And then we saw Berbatov walk across the corridor with Sir Alex Ferguson. And it was, that was just like, when you get the shots like that, it just adds to the drama. And I think from that window, or maybe the wind of the summer before, I think Sky Sports News started getting the inkling, hold on, this is an event now. This is, this is drama. And I don't know if clubs do it because it's drama or it's because the deal just happens to go that way. But they end up, so many clubs just end up doing something on the last day. What were you doing yeah. the last 30 days? Get it done. But, I mean, it's good for us. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's great. It's fascinating to watch. I mean, I, I know it's a little bit different now in terms of, you know, you used to get big groups of fans huddling around and they go to the reporters and, like, yeah. they'd be cheering when the, deal, when the deal's on. Yeah. I know there's been a few instances where yeah. that, doesn't, that doesn't happen so much anymore, but <laughs> no, it's, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's been great. And, you know... How exciting! I mean, you, you mentioned it there. I mean, have I, have I got a text through saying, you know, X Y Z is definitely joining so and so club, and you're like the first person to get or whatever. I mean, that feeling just must be a, like unbelievable. You know, oh, yeah. it must be one of the, must be a great thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just yeah. on that, we had, we had a question, and I might as well ask it now. Um, in terms mm -hmm. of transfers, like you know, deals that you've kind of been getting information on, what's kind of one that sticks out in the mind that's like, oh my god, I've got, I've got this one. I'm gonna you know, I'm going to break this or I've got this story. It's definitely true in terms of like a big transfer. Um, I was getting a lot of information on the Sancho transfer to United. So that was quite a pleasing one to do. The um, Ben White um, to Arsenal. Um, I know the I know the people who look after him very well. And, and that was, I got the one where they'd, they, made the bid of 40 million and that got rejected. So that got the ball rolling. So was, that was a pleasing one. But there was one, and this is actually years and years ago. It's such a bizarre one, actually. So talking about, is going back to when we make contact. So back in 2003, this would have been, I got sent on a job in Carnaby Street where Fulham were launching their new kit. And they put up... Um, a couple of players, one of who was Louis Saha. And what they did, they had various media there. So there was only one press officer from Fulham who was there who was trying to coordinate the whole thing. So while they set me up with Louis Saha, they had to run off and set the other player up with another media. So this was just timing. So I get Louis Saha in front of me, so I'm starting to interview him. And the head of communications is standing beside Saha while I'm doing the interview, which is which is what happens. So I don't ask anything untoward or if they want to stop something or time is up, come on. So I think they must have said to me, look, last question. And as they said last question, I started asking the question, but then the player next to Saha had just finished his interview. So then she had to go away and sort out the next media to for that interview. And as she was doing that, my interview with Saha finished. And with the words of my boss ringing in my ears again, I was just like, Louis, just, um, do you mind if I just get your number? 
yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. Louis Farr gave me his number. So I put, my, put the number in my phone. I'm like, fine. I might need this at some point. And then um, the whole Man United thing started happening. I was like, oh, my God, I put his number. She's like, got it. I just try it. <laughs> started messaging him. Started messaging him. And uh, no response on my first message. Like, All right, fine. Then the phone goes. It's like, message. It's like, Sahas replied. I'm like, oh, my God. And then we got into a text exchange. I said, look, we're reporting this, this, this. Can you tell us the latest? And he was keeping me updated with stuff. So I was like, this is brilliant. But the most bizarre thing that happened was there was um, a Chris Coleman interview. He was a full manager, I think, at the time. And I think he was maybe having a little bit of a go at Saha or Man United or something about being unsettled or whatever. And so I messaged Saha said, look, it's getting a little bit messy at the moment because it was a January window when the United were trying to sign him and Fulham were trying to get the big money for him. And I think they ended up getting, which at the time was massive money, like 12 and a half million for him. So that was the full, the, the, the top end that United were willing to pay and Fulham basically got it. But I do remember like about a week before he actually signed, I think he was getting quite a bit of grief um, from like Fulham fans and stuff, because he, I think he'd made it clear, look, if Man United come in for me, I would want to go. So I said, look, I think you want to say something just to like maybe appease, you know, fans and stuff, because it's not great that, you know, and that might not be who you are. Like, you know, you might, you know, you love Fulham, don't you? And all this kind of thing. He goes, yeah, I love them. Da, da, da. I love the fans. It's just that it's be, it's a dream. Like if a club like Man United, I'm sorry, but, it's just, it's one career and I would want to, you know, I would want to take that opportunity. I said, well, why don't you just do a statement and we can run it as an exclusive statement on Sky Sports News or something? And he goes, yeah, okay. So I was like, all right. So I had my pen ready. I'm on the phone. <laughs> silent. I'm like, I'm like, silent. I'm like, what's going on? And he goes, uh, no, you write. Like, what? <laughs> Between us, we came up with a statement that went out on Sky Sports News and he was like, he was happy and it was, it wasn't so much to appease the Fulham fans, but I think he wanted to get his point across because I think he was getting a lot of grief about it and it was almost coming from him as well. Like, I do need to say something, but I don't know how to do it Um, to just to make sure that people know, look, it's nothing against Fulham. It's absolutely nothing against Fulham. And if it had been any other club, I probably wouldn't have gone, but it's because it's a club like Man United. I just, I might not get this opportunity again. So I want to take this opportunity. And so I think he, he kind of trusted me throughout this whole process because I wasn't really pushing him. Oh, are you going to, are you going, are you going, are you going or what? And then when it was coming towards where we thought it was going to get done, he, I, I kind of texted him and he said, look, you know, he must've said something like, you know, medicals happening or, you know, I've been discussing personal terms or something. So, I managed to get that. That gave me a massive buzz. It was just like, because I heard what my boss had said, I'd got the contact and I'd used the contact and I'd got the story. I mean, it doesn't always happen that way, you know? So, but on that, on that situation, it did. Thomas, just how much, um, you know, on that element of trust then, how difficult is it to strike that balance between doing your job and like you said, getting the information that you need as a, as a journalist in contrast with, also keeping you know all parties happy because there's that iconic interview or press conference with Maurizio Pochettino that you're trying to get some information about him uh, leaving and going to Manchester United and you were you were shut down um, repeatedly yeah. but you kept you kept pushing um, yeah. because obviously you need to do it because of your job yeah and uh, there's a there's a second part to that by you know your your interview with uh, Louis Sahar about what you made of the the whole information with Sky Italia with Lukaku and how that the trust element there and and how were Chelsea aware of that interview? And did he have to speak to parties to go to that? And why? Why? I don't. Was that misconstrued? So. I think he. I think the premise for the interview was um, because of the way he'd left Inter Milan, mm. it was a little bit acrimonious. Even though Inter Milan got ninety million pounds for him, yeah, he'd always maintained, "Look, I want to stay. I want to stay. I want to stay. I love this place." And then it kind of just like, you know, the season finished. He's clapping the fans. They've won the, the Scudetto. See you next season was 
that was the assumption. And then the season finishes and then he leaves. And I think, I think he felt he probably left a bitter taste and he trusted the journalist. That's fine. And the, the journalist didn't do anything wrong, I don't think. He was asking the questions that a journalist should ask Romelu Lukaku in that situation. But I felt a bit for Lukaku in one way, in that in his real will to appease Inter Milan, I think he just went that little bit too far in that I want to, you know, almost saying I want to play for them still, which was... Yeah. Whoa, 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 you're playing for Chelsea. And then it didn't really endear him as much as he would have wanted with Inter. And we all know it didn't endear him with, with the Chelsea fans. And some Chelsea fans have said, look, since that interview, it hasn't really been the same performance-wise and the relationship that they have with Lukaku. And look, I think that can all change. Look, is he going to get picked for the League Cup final? I don't know. If he does and he scores and he gets the winning goal, Things change like that. Well, I'll be celebrating in the stands yeah. if he scores that winning goal. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's all good. Um, I, don't think it was mistrust. I don't think it was a mistrust situation no. as much. I think Lukaku... I was just interested think, to know who sanctioned yeah. that. that. That was all in terms of what... No, you know, no, I, don't know the, someone. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I, I, mean, I, understand. I don't think Chelsea um, would have... Um, I don't think Chelsea were asked about it. No, I understand right. that he organised it off his own back. He obviously knew the, the journalist from his yeah. time, Italy, Sky Italia journalist. He organised it on his own back, went and did it. And obviously, you know, the host broadcaster is well within their rights to release it. And it's going to have a slight spin on it based to, mm. based to, to Italy. It's going to have a slight narrative in that way. Um, it cut, And obviously, when it's released, I don't know if he had a, any say in the timing it's released, but obviously... When you look at it, Chelsea struggling in December, you know, they then release it whilst we're in the midst of a bit of a bad run of form and it just kind of all things build to a head. But um, very briefly before we round out, Darmesh, you're a bit conscious of time, don't want to don't keep you all afternoon. Um, we talked about it very briefly, but um, the report in Italy suggesting that Lukaku was going to come back to Inter Milan potentially in the summer, you understand that's a fabrication is it, from what you've been told? Well, the, the, look... The... The Lukaku situation, um, there are a couple of colleagues at Sky Sports News who are quite in with the Lukaku camp and what they've reported on Sky Sports News, because I haven't really gotten in on, on yeah. that, that camp. I do know people around Lukaku, but it's one of those ones where there's another reporter who's already talking to them. I'm not going to tread on their toes. Carry on. You're getting good information out of them. I don't need to get involved with that. It's not like an ego thing. I want to break the story. Of course, I want to break stories, but not at the expense of, like, what, you know, annoying a, a colleague or whatever. So but the information that they're getting is that it was slightly fabricated, that whole story, and that the, the, the headline was, you know, returning to Inter, whereas the text and the piece didn't have any quotes and didn't have anything that resembled what the headline said. I mean, that, that happens a lot in in every single, like, tabloid newspapers, newspapers especially. But... As far as they're aware, my, my colleagues are saying, no, 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 he's staying at Chelsea. He's happy at Chelsea. He wants to be a success there. No, fantastic. And just to round out then, Darmesh, obviously, people, I've got your, your Twitter handle across the banner linked in the description below as well. Um, and obviously, people can find you on Sky Sports News if they've, if they've not seen you before. Um, in terms of what else you're doing, then have you got anything exciting coming up that you can share with us at all? Or is it very much kind of just work, work as usual for yourself? So I'm working tonight. I'm doing a presenting shift on Sky Sports News on the late shift Yeah, on a Friday night. So I'm sure you guys will be glued to that. You won't be going out. And no, then, definitely not. And then <laughs> I might see you actually on Sunday if, you, if you're going to the game because I'm covering the game for Sky Sports oh, News. Mate, I'll, I'll, I'll be at the game on Sunday. Might, might yeah. come and say hello. <laughs> yeah. So we, we've got, it's, it's actually going to be really good actually because um, Sky Sports News are really going big on, on the game. Um, obviously it's live on Sky, but uh, the... Super Sunday pre-match program that's at 10 o'clock in the morning. That goes until one o'clock. That's live from Wembley. Okay. So there'll be various guests there. And then when the, uh, the Sky Sports News programming resumes at one o'clock, I'll be doing lives pitch side. And there's a lot, there's a, it's a really good guest list, actually. I've, I've seen some of the names that we'll be speaking to before the game. Be, like, you know, the likes of um, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank and 
Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher and Danny Murphy and William Gallas and Petr Cech, I've been told, who might be speaking oh, to as well before the game. And uh, my colleague Gary Cottrell, he'll be outside on Wembley Way, um, soaking up the atmosphere and, and bringing the, the colour and the, the voxes from the fans ahead of the game. So that's an exciting one. I, I really, I just got the feeling this has got the makings of a classic. That game at Stamford Bridge, one of the games of the season, honestly. And if, if Chelsea approached the game like that, this could be, this could be anything. And now I've said that, it's going to be nil-nil and penalties. <laughs> well, well, ho hopefully not, because last time I was at Wembley for a League Cup final, with yeah. myself and Georgia both there, yeah. we lost on penalties against yeah. Man yeah. City. So hopefully yeah. hopefully not so a repeat of that. Lines. So many storylines. Yeah. Is Lukaku going to play? Is Who's the front three for Liverpool going to be? Yeah. Kovacic and Ziyech look like they're fit and available for yeah. this game. Rhys James is back mm. in training. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. intriguing one for me, you look back on that 2019 final, if he continues with Kepa in goal, is this the ultimate, ultimate redemption in the same competition when he says, yeah. no, 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 I'm all right. I'm not coming off. And they lose the penalty shootout. And on the flip side, if it does go to penalties, you're almost hoping as a Chelsea fan that Kepa's in goal he's because in goal, he's yeah. brilliant at penalties. But then having said that, Edouard Mendy was brilliant in the penalty shootout and the Africa Cup of Nations. Yeah. So. Plenty to go. And uh, also, so, uh, I've seen voting for transfer, uh, transfer Talk Show podcast. Is that still yeah, open for the awards? So where should where should people go to yes, help you out for that? Please do. Please, please vote for us. <laughs> the sport, sportspodcastawards.com and vote for Transfer Talk. Please do that. No, nah, perfect. I mean, Darmesh, thank, thank you. you so much for your time. Yeah, really Darmesh. appreciate it. Uh, it's, been, it's been fascinating insight. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, guys, make sure you check out Darmesh on Twitter, on Sky Sports News um etc some really good stuff on there um and from myself and george thank you for tuning in live guys if you've joined us the audio version will be out in the next day or so as well when i turn it around um so make please make sure you listen darmesh thank you so much george thanks for joining as always guys and that brings up full time another episode of the podcast please do subscribe to the channel as well it really helps us grow um so yeah all support would be very much appreciated darmesh thanks so much and uh guys catch you in the league cup final preview in the next day or so cheers